0: They sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God, God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, <clears throat> a Jew, whose name was Bar Jesus which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to deal him or to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought He them out. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for Your Word today. We give You glory and honor and praise. I ask You, dear Jesus, to flow through us, to speak through us, God, this morning. I thank You for Your presence. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your church. Let your will be done, we pray, and everybody said in Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Before you're seated down, um, the message today, a passion that creates a gulf, a passion that creates a gulf, and let's clap our hands unto the Lord, hallelujah. We worship you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Honestly, as I look at these chapters of the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul last, <clears throat> yesterday and then last night, I was tempted to completely go a different direction and completely wanted to preach something else. Hallelujah. Because I just couldn't get the mind of the Lord on this passage. Now, I know that this is the missionary journey of Paul. But I wanted the mind of the Lord. I don't just give you... I mean, anybody can stand up and preach the missionary journey of Paul. But I wanted the mind of the Lord. And about 2 o'clock last night, God gave me His mind on this passage. It's the gulf. It's the gulf that's created by passion. And so I'm excited this morning because God's going to speak to us today about a gulf that is created by passion. First of all, let's just get into the, pas- into the passage here. Hallelujah. Into the passion. Amen. In chapter 11, you remember in the, back, in the book of Acts that Barnabas went and got Saul from Tarsus. Because he knew that this man could fulfill this particular work that God was doing among the Gentiles. So he goes and gets Paul, Saul, at that time. Amen. Praise God. And he brings him up to, praise the Lord, Antioch. Hallelujah. (laughs) Not Jerusalem, but Antioch at that time. Now, at that time, Galatians begins to to work its way in there. and, And you can see this in Acts 11 and on through here. Galatians 1 and 2. That Paul, at this time, goes from Antioch with Barnabas, along with a Gentile named Titus. They leave Antioch, and they go up to Jerusalem to bring an offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Once they get through ministering there, they then go back to Antioch, which brings us to this passage. But they have one other person that's with them that's gone from Jerusalem. And that's John Mark. OK? Now some of you are saying, "Well where we, you going read Galatians too? It, it tells us here what was going on here, that at the time that the prophecy went forth of a famine, then, ever, then Paul says that at that time he took an offering up to Jerusalem from Antioch uh, with Titus and Barnabas. And then again, he flows back to, back to Antioch, which is really the headquarters of the church from this point on. And from there, as he goes back from Jerusalem, he's got John Mark with him. So you've got four men now that have gone back to Antioch. That covers a lot of territory in a real short, brief period of time. But it gives you the background of this passage. Okay? <clears throat> so when we come to chapter 13, then we have in the church that is, was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. <clears throat> we've got uh, different men that are listed here. Number one, we've got Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger. This could have been the man that carried the cross for Jesus Christ up Golgotha's hill. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, this which had been brought up with Herod. He was the foster brother of Herod, the Tetrarch. And <clears throat> Saul. So we've got various men here who are prophets and teachers that are there in Antioch. As they minister to the Lord, the Bible says, and fasted. Now to minister to the Lord is to delight in the Lord. Is to come into his presence and delight in the Lord. And really to delight in the Lord is to delight in what he delights in, which is himself. <laughs> so when you come in the presence of the Lord and you delight in the Lord, you're really delighting in what he delights in, and that's himself. And that's what true worship is. And the word minister there goes back to the tabernacle of David, where they minister to the Lord 24 hours a day. That put me under conviction. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they ministered to the Lord or they delighted in the Lord. They delighted in what He delighted in. That is in Himself. They worshiped Him, ministered to Him. It also means to equip a ship. So, you know, just to kind of show you where, where I am in my studies at times, I wanted to preach on the passion of sailing. And then I wanted to preach on the passion of parting. And then I wanted to preach on the passion of separation. And then I, I finally got the mind of God, and it's the passion that creates a great gulf. Hallelujah. But I had it all going here, man, because the ministry means to equip the ship, you know. And then John's, it says John ministered to them, uh, to uh, Paul and Barnabas. John, John ministered. He was a rower in a ship. So I really had it going, man. I had it working, you know. And I could have preached it that way, but God had a different direction. But the point is that they were ministering unto God with prayer and fasting. Hallelujah. When you pray and you worship the Lord, you are ministering to Him. See, I didn't come here today. See, a lot of people go to church to be ministered to. And that's okay. That's part of it. God wants to minister to you. But I don't, when I go to church, I don't just go to church to get something. I go to church to give something. I don't go to church just to get ministered to, but I, I go to church to minister to the Lord. Hallelujah. And to minister to the Lord and to minister to you. So I've come here to give something today, not just to get something today. And But when you give something, you're always going to get something in the kingdom of God. It's impossible for you to give something to the kingdom of God without getting something. But I came here to minister to the Lord, not just to get something from the Lord. And so they minister to the Lord with prayer and fasting. Now, let's talk about this. When you minister to God and you pray and you fast, fasting is not for God. You don't do it because you're trying to get points with God. In fact, you don't even do it so that God will talk. You don't fast to get God to talk. God's been talking the whole time. The problem is we're not hearing. So fasting, come on, are you with me here? It's not for God or to get God to talk to you or just so you can be miserable. Some people have this ideal about Christianity that the more miserable you are, the more you are pleasing God. But God just loves me to love to see me like a worm squirming all the time. And if I just walk around and I just be miserable all the time, I've got God's favor. So fasting is not, you know, when you start fasting, boy, you think, boy, I'm going to be miserable. Why, God want me to be miserable, hungry, suffering, you know. It's not about being miserable. You got it? So it's not for God it's not to get God to talk to you it's not because he wants you to be miserable it's so that you can get yourself out of the way <clears throat> so that you can hear that God that's been talking the whole time who never stopped talking but why you can't hear him is you've got flesh in the way that has to be get taken out of the way so you can hear God and what are you hearing his plan his purpose that's why you fast so you can hear the God that's been talking to you the whole time. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? So they are they ministering to the Lord this way. And then in the midst of this, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost says, Separate. Create a gulf here. Separate Paul and Barnabas. What for? For the ministry which I've called them to. Now, watch this. This is an ordination service that's taking place here. You look there, Look with me, please. In verse 4, so, well, verse 3. And when they had fasted, prayed, and laid, whoops, I'm backing up here. I'm sorry. As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, <clears throat> he didn't call them because they were praying and fasting. He had already called them. Paul, I would say, 17 years ago or so already had been called by God. Paul saw already knew what God wanted him to do. No man prayed and fasted and said, Hey, Paul, you're called to preach. That's not the way God works. God does not use men to call you to preach. God has already called that man. That man already knows what he's supposed to be doing in the kingdom of God. To, be, and to have an ordination service means that God has pointed the finger. So what God does is He points the finger inside of you first. He ordains you Himself. So He points the finger inside. And then after a while, the church starts pointing a finger at you. They recognize that God has been pointing the finger at you. You see what I'm saying? But they don't call you into that. They don't get your mail first. God doesn't send uh, their mail to you. He sends your mail to you. And then the church says, hey, you got some mail in the box. And I've come across that, you know, when I was pastoring, especially over there in Brazos, I had this woman coming to me, wanted to tell me how to run the church. <clears throat> I looked her right in the eyeballs. Hallelujah. I said, Let me tell you something. I said, God didn't send you to give me anything because God doesn't send my mail to your box, He sends my mail to my box. Now, if what you're saying is true, I'll get a witness in my spirit that that's from God. But if I, don't, if I haven't heard it from God, you're not going to come and tell me something I haven't heard from God for myself, for my, the church that I pastor. That's out of order. And that's not God. I don't care if you think you've heard from God or not. I said, that's not God. So get your witchcraft self out of here. Hello? So anyway, these men already had the mail from the Lord. The church just is recognizing by the Spirit of God that now is it now is the time for them to fulfill what He had already told them to do. Now God might be telling now don't take me wrong here. I'm just, you know, God might be telling you something to do, but He's if He's if it's really God. Then there's going to be somebody that's going to be pointing at the finger, pointing outside of you, that's pointing the finger at you and saying, Yeah, that is God. Ooh, hello, somebody. There's a lot of people who say, I'm called to preach. Hallelujah. But the church never pointed a finger at him, which kind of makes me wonder if they really were called to preach. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Because you'll have both of it going on. You'll have the inward call to the person first, and then at some point, somebody's going to follow them. At some point, somebody's going to point the finger at them and go after them. Let me tell you something. If nobody's following me in, in the ministry that God's called me to, he hasn't called me to a ministry. I don't care how much zeal I got. You know, I want to serve God, so I'm going to preach somewhere. I don't care how much zeal I got. If nobody's following the ministry I've been called to, then I probably haven't been called to that ministry. Because if I've been truly called by God into a certain area of work in the kingdom, then there's going to be some people that are going to be pointing the finger at me and saying, hey, yeah, let's go. i gotta, I got to get in contact with him, man. Nobody's following you, then you're probably not called to do that. Give God praise. So I look at two things. Number one, what God's told me. And then I look at, is there anybody else out there that's pointing a finger at me and saying, yeah, that's, we recognize what God has said about you is, is accurate. For example, if I came up here today and I've been here for 10 years and there's nobody here, guess what? I'd probably get, it'd probably get my attention that I'm not supposed to be doing this. Hello, wake up. <laughs> Pastor Carter, let the light come on. Uh, I really know you want to do something, but, you know, this is not really where you need to be doing it. But See, a lot of people have so much pride that once they step out and say, I'm called to do this, you know, because they think they are. Nobody's pointing a finger at them. Boy, they'll get offended by that. Run off, start their own church somewhere. And anybody that does that... They can be destroyed, and everybody that follows them can be destroyed because they don't have a true call on their life, but because of pride. And because they want it to be, you know, they like the glory. They like the up front. They like to be calling the shots. You have to be called by God to do this. You can't do it by occupation because it pays good, or even if it doesn't pay good, it doesn't make any difference. If God called you into it, you've got to do it, and people are going to recognize that hand of God upon you. That's why you don't have to stand up and say, I'm a prophet. You don't have to stand up and say, I'm an apostle. You have to stand up and say, you, you might know what God's called you to do. And I guarantee you, if you've really been called in that area, there's going to be some other people that's going to be pointing their finger at it and saying, yes, I recognize that. You don't have to walk around and take your sign out. This is good, isn't it? (laughs) So the ordination service is not men calling you to preach or not having your official papers. Oh, boy. Hello. Hello. And and, uh, I'm not putting all that down. I'm just telling you where where it all comes down to. You want papers, official papers. I better get on. I got a long ways to go here. You want official papers. Can I tell you how to get them? Go on the Internet. And you can have your license to preach tomorrow. They don't know who you are. They don't know nothing about you. But if you'll pay your $20 fee... You can have your credentials tomorrow. I don't care who you are. Everybody in here, go to the internet. Get your license to preach. Pastor, look, I'm called to preach. I got my credentials. Woo! Praise the Lord. God hadn't been talking to me about you calling. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that you're not, but He hadn't been talking to me. That's all I know. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So first and foremost, God's going to point the finger at you, and then somebody else is going to point the finger at you too, outside of God. Whew, I better get off of that one. I feel like a heat rising in here. <coughs> These men were set apart by the Holy Ghost, set apart by God. Not by men. Men just recognize the call of God that was on them. Hmm, God's good, isn't He? Aren't you glad the Bible says that when they recognized the the, the call of God on their life, when they had fasted, prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away? Man, God's got His hand on you. Get out of here, man. So here we go. Now they start their missionary journey. Now who, who all is in this thing? Well, we've got Paul. We've got Barnabas. But... We got another young man named John Mark. Don't get mad at me so quick. <laughs> they got John Mark with them. Who later on is going to ha- get cold feet. Because it's too difficult. The obstacles are too great. And there's going to be a great gulf that takes place between them. Now I'm just giving you this. See, Barnabas and Paul were sent Mark just went. There's a lot of people who've been sent, and there's a lot of people who just went. Woo! Glory to God. I don't see where they ever said, or the Holy Ghost ever said, to separate John Mark to go with you. But you see, Uncle Barnabas, Woo! Hey, Uncle Barnabas, can I go back to Antioch with you? Yeah. Hey, Uncle Barnabas, can I go on this missionary trip with you? I like riding in boats. I like flying in planes. Ooh, I like just the thought of going in the foreign field and being called a missionary. Can I go? I'll row the boat for you. I'll be your minister, I'll be your slave. If you just let me go. And Uncle Barnabas said, he, he, you know, he's got a little pool there with, with Paul. Now, let's take John with us. He can help us out. You know, he can wash our dishes. He can, he can cook our food. He can gather wood. And he can minister to us. He, you know, he'd be our slave. I'm, that's what the word means. And so Paul and Barnabas agree, well, we'll let John Mark go along. Well, he went along for a while until it got rough. And there was a separation from the men and the boys. Because anything you do in the kingdom of God is going to have great obstacle in the midst of it. And ooh, there's a separation that takes place between the men and the boys. And I don't want to be a boy. But anyway, we'll get to John Mark in a little bit. Okay? Y'all okay out there? Hallelujah. I'm preaching I'm preaching things that I'm moving in areas where angels fear to tread I want to tell you something you get out and the do the work of God and the kingdom of God I don't care how powerful how macho you were in the world the things the things that this work can make you a midget you can become a boy overnight When you thought you were a powerful man in the world. I know what I'm talking about. Y'all okay? You know what I'm talking about too, don't you? Man, you had it going. You in the world, didn't you? Strong, yeah. You got in the kingdom of God, started serving God, and it got difficult. And you felt like quitting. That's when... My, my, my wife often says this. She says, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize they're running with the big boys now. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just, how can I do it? We just, just stand here. My wife said, they're running with the big boys now. See, <clears throat> they, they think there's something until they really get out there and really get tested. And when you really start running with the big boys, then you understand how much of a little boy you are. Sometimes, in fact, Paul, when he was converted, before he was converted, he went by the name of Saul, which means desired. That was his life story before Paul. And when he got converted and started doing the missionary work, he then called his name Paul, which means little. And that's the way he felt about himself after he got converted by the Lord Jesus and sent into the ministry. He felt little. Before he felt desired. Woo, people desire me. Then when God really called him, he said, no, no, I'm not no longer desired. I'm little. That's the way he looked at himself. Hallelujah. You with me here? Something about this walk with God and this type of work, whew, you recognize. Man, I got to have God. So now we've got, we've got John Martin, we've got Barnabas, and we've got Paul, and they're going out. In the mission field. Woo, hallelujah. No John Mark. He's so excited because he's going to get to see some neat scenery. Mm. Traveling man. Hallelujah. Wait, Paul, an apostle. Barnabas, a prophet. It's called the, his name, you know, son of a constellation, son of a prophet. Woo, I get to be with these powerful men of God. Wow. Hallelujah. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> if you don't have the man's mantle, you'll be destroyed by that mission if you try to do it. John Mark didn't have the mantle of Barnabas or Saul. He just went. He went on the mission, but he couldn't fulfill the mission because he didn't have the mantle to fulfill it. He didn't have the training. He didn't have the... the, the the iron in his blood that it was going to take to make it in that battle. He wasn't prepared for what he was about to face. But see, I can't get off of this. But see, we, we, we love to look at ourselves uh, and we love to write big checks. Our ego will write big checks that our consecration cannot pay. You better be, we need to, all of us need to be careful about letting our ego write big checks that our consecration can't pay. John's ego wrote a big check that his consecration couldn't pay. Because he was going to come up with some, against some stuff that going to come against him. He didn't realize what he was about to face. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we're all like that at times. We think, boy, yeah, I can handle that. Write a big old check there. And then, boom. Fall flat on our face. Amen. Some of the things they face, the Bible says, they, they go over to uh, Cyprus. That's the stomping grounds, the old stomping grounds of Barnabas. That's where he's from. So they first go over there, and the Bible says, uh, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. When they had gone through the island of Paphos, so they go to, from Salamis here in that same island over to Paphos, they found a certain source for a false prophet a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, over there in Paphos there, is that right? Paphos? Did I get that right? Paphos. Yeah, Paphos. Thank you. This is really a Roman uh, proconsul area. This is where the government is established by Rome. This place of... Si- I'm going to give you some background here, all right? Will you help me instead of just looking at me? <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo. That's why sometimes I just, I feel like just say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come up here and preach this morning? <laughs> Instead of just, you know, looking me up and down. Yeah, I'm not doing very good. Doing real good. <laughs> You'll come on up here. But anyway, I'm, I'm but they go over to Cyprus and, you know, this is a place that is well-known for Venus worship. Paganism is rampant there. They've got, they've got a very immoral situation. Lust is rampant in Cyprus. In fact, you know, Venus is believed to have come up from the foaming sea. Okay? Okay. And over there in Cyprus, uh, they had a, a black rock that they called Venus. It wasn't until later in the, when the Greek mind made Venus this very, very beautiful woman. Uh, here, she was just a black rock. And everybody in Cyprus had to go to this certain location. Everybody, every woman in Cyprus at some point had to go and be a prostitute in her temple every woman and so the immorality was extreme there but so is, is here in america temple prostitutes is what they had to become and now paul goes over to the proconsul, there where rome's government is seated there and about a man by the name of sergius paulus is sitting there and he's set there in authority by the roman government and he's a man of great intellect he's a very capable man He's a governor in that part of the world. And not only that, but in his court, he's got a court chaplain. And this court chaplain is a puppet. He's a false prophet. So already we've got a great goal fixed here because we've got true prophets of God. And then we've got false prophets of God that are laid out in this scripture. God's answer to immorality and God's answer to humanism, human intellect, etc., is a spirit-filled man of God. That is God's answer. But on the other hand, we got this pulpit preacher. I like to call them pulpiteers. They are professional preachers. They're there by occupation. His name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. His real name by interpretation is Eliamus, which means the enlightened one. So he claims to be a son of Jesus, and he claims to be enlightened. It could be that he took this name upon himself because he heard about Jesus in Jerusalem. About all the miracles that he did. And so he nicknames himself or he calls himself, I'm a son of Jesus. I can do the same type of miracles here. I am the enlightened one. But he is a false prophet. So when you're going out there and you're trying to serve God, whether it be a missionary or a preacher or you as a, as a church going out there to bring in the harvest in the kingdom of God. You're going to have opposition. You're going to be surrounded by immorality. You're going to be surrounded by human intellect, humanism. You're going to be confronted by professional pulpiteers. You're going to be confronted by professional preachers. But all they are is just a court chaplain. And they're not real. In fact, when it talks about bar Jesus... Here in the context, if you really get down and study deep, it tells us here he was nothing but a fake. He was a phony. But he's acting. He's playing the part. He wants to appear as something that he is not. He wants to appear as a prophet. But he's an apostate Jew. Now, Paul gets Saul. He's, he's still Saul at this point, I think, isn't he? Then Saul. Saul gets over there, and all of a sudden, this man, Paulus, Sergius Paulus, wants to hear the Word of God preached. So he sends for Saul and Barnabas and John Mark, and they walk in there, and there they are in his court, and they got this court jester named Bar-Jesus. With me here? And as Paul is trying to preach the Word of God to Paulus, then this man tries to stop him. Tries to hinder the Word of God from going forth to be preached. Amen? When God is really in something, get ready for the false prophets, pulpiteers to rise up. false brethren to rise up from your midst to hinder the work of God I've been in church services when the Word of God and the powers of God was fallen and a man just walked off the street and walked over and knocked a hole in the wall <clears throat> sent there by the devil to disrupt the service didn't let him disrupt the service they just got a couple of men, so they escort him out the door send him out the door <clears throat> so when God really begins to move get ready for that type of manifestation You've got the fakes. You've got the phonies that are going to try to rise up and hinder the work of God. Friend, that's why I'm telling you this is not something that you want to play with. The the real kingdom of God is is very, in a sense, dangerous. Opposition, war, fatten, struggle, pain, suffering, agony. And that passion that you have To take that gospel out there is going to bring a separation. It's going to bring a gulf. It's going to reveal true prophets and false prophets at the same time. So, this true prophet of God, anointing, I'm talking about Paul, as he's preaching and teaching the word of God, the anointing is upon him. This man recognizes this, this man's for real, he's a real prophet. I've been walking around here claiming I was, but I don't have it. I'm an apostate Jew. And so what he tries to do, he tries to stop because he don't want to lose his influence. He don't want to lose his title. He don't want to lose his position. So he's got to shut this true prophet down because he's losing everything that he's faked and connived and manipulated. And he's risen to the top by his own Manipulation and his own, with me here, fake-ery. Playing the part. Oh, God's good. But in the midst of that, the truth stands up. Give God some praise. See, I want you to know today that if you're really true, truly called to God, God will confirm that. If you're not truly confirmed by, uh, truly called by God, then God will expose that. Hello, somebody. See, he's in the confirmation business, but he's also in the exposing or uncovering business. He uncovers the false. He uncovers the fake. You know how he does that? By bringing up somebody that's truly anointed like Paul. Somebody that's really called a God. That's how God exposes Bar-Jesus' and Eliam-is' the same man. It's by the manifestation of the true prophet of God. And so here they are, they're preaching. Now, he, boy, he's squirming now. And what does Paul do? If we're not careful, we will do the same thing that Paul did. I'm not. No, if we're not careful. No, if we. If we're not careful, we will do just the opposite of what Paul did. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> if we're. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will not do what Paul did. What happened was this. You know what? If it had been us, we might have walked up there and say, "Hey." <clears throat> Bar-Jesus, Son of Jesus, I like your name, man. That's a good name. By the way, I'm preaching about Jesus. Hallelujah. Can I be your friend? And by the way, I'm a Jew and you're a Jew. We got common ground. Can I be your friend? He didn't do that. He, didn't. he wasn't wanting to make a friend out of a false prophet. He was wanting to win the soul of Paulus. See, we can go around always trying to befriend false teachers, false prophets. When really what we should be doing is out there winning souls. This man is only concerned about his position. He's only concerned about his name. He's only concerned about his income. He doesn't care about Paulus. He doesn't care about his soul. He's an apostate Jew. This man should have known that Jesus was the Messiah. This man, instead of being a false prophet, should have been the first one to preach to him Christ. But all he's concerned about is his position and his income and his name. Paul is a true prophet. He's a soul winner. People that are really called to God have a passion to win the lost. A passion that's even greater than their, even their desire to have a certain paddle. I just want to see souls brought in the kingdom. Professional pulpiteers, though, they're there for a totally different reason. Are you with me here? So there's a great separation here, a great goal fix. And Paul doesn't try to befriend this man. Because that's not what his call is about. His call is about winning souls. His call is about establishing the kingdom of God. His call is about heaven and hell. Separated by a great gulf. And somehow I've got to get people from out of hell into heaven. That's my call. See, he didn't fall into the trap of being sentimental or being psychological or being philosophical. He went there because he knew that Hell was real and heaven was real. And I've got to get Paul out of hell. And then I've got a man over here who's resisting me. He's a tool of the devil. He's standing up to resist me as I preach the word of God. He is from hell. I'm from heaven. And there's a great separation. There is a great gap. There's a great gulf fixed. So that I'm trying to get Paul out of hell into heaven. He's trying to keep Paul in hell. Woo! And so instead of trying to, you know, he didn't read that book <clears throat> How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. <clears throat> I could tell you how I know cuz had he read this book he wouldn't have did what he did. <clears throat> if he was just in this to be a man pleaser, hallelujah. Here's what he does. Let's see what he does. we got a man who's resisting him under the power of darkness. The Scripture says this. He looks at him filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. And said, he set his eyes on him. I mean, he locked eyeballs, eyeballs to eyeballs. He looked at that man right in the eyeballs. He saw that spirit that was operating in him. I heard one preacher stand up and say, we're not supposed to even hate the devil. We're supposed to love everybody. We're not supposed to hate the devil. You got off into some psychology, honey. He looks at him. Man, can you imagine little Paul? (coughs) <coughs> Paul, short stature, hunched over, tri- history says. <coughs> little beady eyes, hooked nose, little squeaky voice. Yeah! <coughs> Telling <you> the truth. <laughs> His bodily presence, you know, he wasn't really no, no specimen to be looking at. He was just kind of. But anyway, he looks at him, those little beady eyes. And said, Oh, full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? I mean, he just went right, he tore into him like a dog tearing into a piece of meat. A lot of people today in the church, oh, that's, that can't be God. Yes. You want to know God? You met him in Walmart. Right. I'm glad Paul didn't go to that psychology class. How to win friends and influence enemies. Here's what he says. He says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Now you've got to get this. Paul better be right. Because he's standing right in the midst of a man by the name of Sergius Paulus here. That he's trying to win to God. He's, there's a false prophet from the devil standing up to resist Paul as he's preaching. And now this man, Paul lays into him. Paul's going, uh-uh, Paulus, Sergius, what's going on here? I thought you were two prophet." Jesus, you're not a true prophet? You're a child of the devil, full of all subtlety. I've been taking advice from you for years, and you're a false preacher. Who well, can you imagine what's going on in this man's mind? He sees Paul just rip into his, his best pastor. <laughs> And then Paul looks at him and said, you're going to be blind not seeing the sun for a season. Paul, you better be hearing from God. Because if he don't go blind, you better pack your bags and get out of Cyprus. You better know it's God when you open your mouth. It's evident when this other man opened his mouth, it wasn't from God. It was the devil. But see, Paul knew what it was like to walk with God. And so when he said this, he knew that it was God. He knew that it was the Holy Ghost. He better know it's the Holy Ghost. Because <clears throat> if it's not the Holy Ghost, Barnabas, Paul, John, pack your bags and get out of town. When you say something, that it, you know, hey, you're going to be blind. They better go blind. It's not I think. In this situation, it's okay to say sometimes I think and I feel, I believe. But when it gets down to this type of thing, you better know. Head out by the hand. He's groping in darkness. Are y'all okay out there? (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's powerful. This is a miracle in reverse. Man, Jesus walked out, he opened blind eyes. But now he blinds this guy. Miracle in reverse, a miracle in the negative. A lot of people don't realize that God can do miracles in the negative. He can do a miracle in reverse. See, I want to just warn all of us here today. You better be careful about who talks to you and who you listen to. Because they could be professional preachers and puppeteers. And they might try to warn you against true men of God. And you better be careful that you don't listen to them because you could be destroyed by them. Hello, somebody. It's not a game. <clears throat> so this man's let out. Man, he's blind, boy. Now, I, I, we had not had any of that happening in here. Amen. But it doesn't mean that we won't. <clears throat> Ooh. Now, you better know where you stand in God... When miracles start happening in the reverse. Because if you're not careful, you're going to side with the devil. I can't believe that's God. I can't believe God would blind a man like that. And you side with the devil. So you've, we've got to know where we stand in God. God. We can't go by what, you know, just our flesh and our sentiment and our emotions and, and all of that that will enter into something. we got to hear, have the mind of God. What did God say about it? And if you're wrong, you have to apologize. If you're not wrong and you know it's God, you got to stand your ground. God's good. Hallelujah. At that time, old John Mark, man, he's freaking out. (laughs) Uncle Barnabas, did you see what he just did? He obliged that guy. Did you hear what that dude just, you hear what Paul just said? Called him a child of the devil? Called him filled with all subtlety? Did you hear that? This Paul is radical. I don't think I can handle Paul. It started working in his mind. Ooh, Paul's too intense for me. Paul's too radical for me. Paul's too hot for me. Paul's too hard to handle. Woo! but he's a man of God. Amen. Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, I know how you are. You're the son of consolation. You're the, you're the one that comforts and encourages me all the time. And, and all of a sudden, I got a man over here blinding people, calling him child of the devil and all subtlety. I just, whoo, whoo. what did I get myself into? Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Whoo. Man, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was like that. if I didn't know he's like that, I'd never join his church. (laughs) There ain't no way. He just comes right out and confronts them right right there. No tact, no psychology, no nothing. He just gets in their face like a dog eating all meat, man. Boy, if I'd known that, I know this might be a little bit harder than I want to be part of, man. Woo! Pulled up his suspenders. Man, the passion of this man, Paul, he's got the passion of God, man. This passion right here is creating a gulf between true prophets and false prophets. And it don't take John very long. It's just a few more verses down the road. John Mark's packing his bags and getting out of town. He hears mama calling. I didn't know it was going to be like this. I already had plans. The Antioch newspaper was going to go forth. John Mark with Paul and Barnabas. John Mark's really been used by God since he left with those two, that apostle and prophet. Woo. He had it going on in his mind. Woo. I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> now he said over there behind the set of consolation. said, Comfort me, would you? Comfort me. I need some comforting going on in here. I need some comforting. I came here. I came to church to be comforted, not tormented. Come <laughs> on. Don't they know I got enough trouble to come to church and get tormented? <laughs> God, I came here to get comforted. <clears throat> Not to be made uncomfortable. I'm just trying to give you. <clears throat> <clears throat> mm, this is a little harder than I thought. Man. I, we've all been there. I've been there, man. I, sometimes you go through things, you're so numb. You don't know if you're going to come out of it, man. I, boy, man. By more. morning, I can chew here, man. My ego wrote a big check. My consecration can't pay. Had digits of grandeur. I'm going to be an apostle. i probably like them. Yeah, you might be, but not tomorrow. Hmm. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. The word astonished there literally went, means he went out of his mind. He went completely. It literally means that like if somebody went and popped him right in the mouth. That's what that word means. Like somebody just reached over and popped him in the mouth and shook him out of his where he was before. See, we, the word astonished means that. It means to be smitten in the mouth. It means to, to, to lose your mind. Man, this guy Paul's uh, blowing people's mind. He's popping them in the mouth in the spirit. He's shaking it up, man. Got one man blind walking out of church. Got another man popping him in the mouth with his preaching. See, we need that kind of preaching. We need preaching that separates, that brings a gulf into things. The truth is revealed and the false is exposed. And people are shaken out of their complacency into a place of passion for God. Whew. Man, old Paulus, Sergius Paulus got a right hook. <laughs> Being astonished at the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God. He associated this blind man with God's teaching and God's ways. See, before he just heard a man preaching. He just heard a man giving a word. And then when this happened, he sees this man walk out. Miracle takes place there in reverse. Ooh, now he, he got his attention now. Woo, hallelujah. I wonder if he's a trembling. and wonder if he's next. I wonder if I'm the next dude out of here. I I saw them get that other guy by. And you're not that man. Get that other man by the hand. Lead him out. He didn't even know where he was. I wonder if I'm next. I want to tell you something. The church that we play like. When I read this New Testament apostolic. Church in the book of Acts. It makes me see how far we need to go. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 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 Well, God, I was said now, Paul and his company, loose from Paphos, they came. And so <coughs> I believe they won this man to the Lord. Paulus, Sergius Paulus. Won him to the God. And who knows what happened to Oelamus? Who knows what happened about Jesus? You know, Paul got blinded by God, and he was a Jew. Wonderful, Elimus. He doesn't tell us in the Bible what happened to him. But I wonder after he got really you know, hit by the true power of God and got blinded that maybe some Ananias was waiting for him to show him Jesus. Maybe he got converted. You you see, because God, when he does something like that, it's always to produce something good. He did that so that Paul would come into the kingdom. And possibly this man, Eliamus, would come into the kingdom. And another man by the name, of Paulus would come into the kingdom. So even when God does a miracle in reverse, his intention and purpose is always to bring something good and powerful out of it. He just don't enjoy just blinding people and hurting people and all that. He does, well, he's gotta step in there and do that. It's because somebody's soul is at stake. It's for the good. It was for the good. It, we see that because we have fruit. Fruit come out of it. Just helping anybody? God's good, isn't he? Mm. Mm. You can't let the enemy just sit there and just keep resisting the word and trying to shut down the word and try to shut down the move of God in a service. You just can't sit there and let that happen. You've got to let God get a hold of you. You've got to deal with that. You can't let that keep going on in the house, man. You've got to have enough passion. If it's, got to, if it's got to bring a separation, if it's got to bring a gulf, I'm not anywhere close to being what Paul was. You, you sense something trying to come up against you to try to shut you down? I know some of you don't like this, but this is real. You come to church and you feel like you don't just immobile and something's resisting you trying to shut you down, shut the move of God down. Try to shut the preacher down. Something's got to get a hold of you says, you're a child of the devil. You've come to resist. You're full of all subtlety. You've got to stand up and you've got to take authority over that kind of stuff. But when, when that authority rises up there and that's done, then there's going to be fruit. And God comes in that place. And the glory of God comes there. There's nothing about the kingdom of God that's passive. Nothing. I am concerned at times about our church. I am concerned at times about me. I'm concerned at times about other Pentecostal churches. They're not, I'm not over them. I'm not in charge of them. I can't do nothing about it. But I'm here to tell you, some of them have nothing. Be, not, have come, become nothing more than bar Jesus is sitting in pulpit pews and standing behind pulpits. They're fake. They're phony. They've lost the power. They've lost the glory. There's no move of God inside of them. There's no passion in them. There's nothing that will bring a gulf. Nothing. They've learned to play the part and to go with the flow of the people. Never stirring anything up. Nothing. Now watch. Hallelujah. The Bible says this. Now when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. That's awesome all he had to see that's all of paul that he wanted that's all of missionary trips that he wanted he don't want any more of that i didn't know it was going to be like this uncle barney I didn't know Paul was such a (laughs) bam-bam. He's something else when it comes to the Flintstones. He takes his bam-bam club and busts the rocks up, man. Woo, Barney, I'm out of here. I don't know what excuse he used, but Maybe as they're moving toward Pamphylia and Perga there, as they're moving into the, that Galatian area of the world in Asia Minor, as they're traveling from that, that island, Cyprus, and going up there, that he, see, he knew that the coastland was there. Or maybe he heard Paul and Barnabas talk about all those pirates that were on the coastland of Perga. Pamphylia there. Woo! Pirates and... And uh, you know, vagabonds, and, and when you start climbing up in those Tarsus Mountains there and you get in that, those high places, then man, you got all kinds of robbers and you got pirates that want to, you know, they want to take what you got and kill you and all this stuff. And boy, those mountains, it, it gets cold up there sometimes at night. And ooh, it's a hard journey and the rocks are jagged. You know, Paul and Barnes was talking about that, and John Mark's going, What? What do you mean, pirates? Robbers, high mountains, jagged rocks, might lose our life. What are you talking about? I came here to see the sights, man. Get some glory. Hallelujah. Woo! This job's not as glamorous as I thought. Here's, maybe he hears them talking about all of that. He already saw how radical Paul was. <clears throat> Maybe Paul fasted almost, you know, five, six days a week. Hallelujah. I don't want nothing to do with that man. That man fasts too much. <laughs> He's always calling us on a fast. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he just he hears the call back home. Uh. Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, uh, you know, mom's not doing too well back home. I I feel in the Holy Ghost that I better get back home quickly because my mama's not doing too good. I I hear that. They need me back there. Ah! (laughs) I hear the call. No, you're a boy who went and was not sent and has nothing to do with age. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a went that wasn't sent. (laughs) I don't bed. Honestly, a lot of times I feel like a boy. (laughs) God, man, pressure gets on, you know. Don't know if you can take it anymore. Don't know if you can handle the pressure anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I don't want to be like John Mark. I don't want to quit. But see, there's always some excuse that's going to come to you. I know I'm just teaching you, so I'm boring you half to tears. Y'all come tonight. I got a preacher lined up that'll rock the house. They'll rock the house. You come here and preach. You don't like me, you come hear him preach. Hallelujah. There's always, though, some excuse that anybody could come up with and say, hey, you know what? I feel like I need to go here. Yeah, I feel a call. I feel like, oh, my mama needs me. Um, yeah, daddy needs me over there. And I'm sp- I know, I'm sp- you know I was born for that. And yeah, what is it? No, what it's really all about is you can't handle the, the pressure and the heat that is associated with the kingdom of God and the work of God. Really, you don't want to admit it, but you're a boy. Woo! But you want to appear like, I'm the man. Oh, really? We will see about that. If you're the man, be the man. John Mark, man, as soon as they get to shore, he catches a boat back to Odessa, Texas. He's, you know, this poor guy. Seen guys get blind, he's worried about the future, this journey he's gotta go on. He might have got seasick, didn't have no Dramamine. is that what they call that stuff? Dramamine, y'all always call it Dramamine. Dramamine. Didn't have no dramamine to get on a boat with. He's all up checking over the side. Ah! My health just can't take this. Ah! And Paul, he could care less. Look at him over there. So rigid and hard. Look at him. He won't even come over and say, hey, John, are you okay? Blah. Preach it, preach it. Poor guy feels for you. man. I'm just so sorry you're hurting. <laughs> Paul looking at him. I'm just, you know, I'm just preaching here. Weak. 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 Wimp, sissy, boy, God. But that's you know that's that's just a passion that Paul has, you know. God's good, isn't he? And John departed from them, then returned to Jerusalem. If you look in Matthew 7, this word departing is only used two times in the New Testament other than this one. Two other times. Luke 9 and Matthew 7. Matthew 7, Jesus said to those that stood before him on judgment day, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Same word used there. When it says John departed, he brought such a cleavage. John, don't you understand that they need you right now? Don't you understand that this is the heat of the battle? Don't you understand that this is a struggle? And we we don't need you to check out right now. Check out some other time. But don't check out when we need you the most. Don't check out when when the struggle gets hard. What's that old saying? When the t- when it's tough, the tough get going. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. John, I can hear him. John! When the tough gets going, the- what is it? Help me. When the going gets tough, tough gets going. John, and you're running off right now. And we need you the most right now. We Our church is going and you're running off and leaving us now departing from us it is such a strong word that is used there jesus used it when he said depart from me ye that work iniquity that's the way john was looked at when he took off like he did and ran he was looked at, like, looked at like somebody who was told, Depart from me, you either that work iniquity. That's iniquity for you to run off and leave us, John, right now. It's iniquity. And Luke 9, the Bible talks about that the spirit had possessed this man and he scarcely departed from him or barely departed from that man. It's linked to the demonic and it's linked to iniquity. run off when it gets hard and it gets tough friend that is great iniquity and it's demonic if God sends you out that's different I'm not talking about that but if you go because you can't handle the pressure because you can't have the struggle that is great iniquity and it's great demonic activity And you come up with all kinds of excuses you want to about why you left, why you didn't stay in there, how you got hurt, all that stuff. I want to tell you something, man. That in the eyes of God for a person to depart, there was a great gulf that took place right there between Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark. So that later on, whenever Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them again, Paul says, absolutely not. Where's grace, Paul? Where's your love, Paul? Where's your mercy, Paul? Paul said, absolutely not. I can't trust him. I can't go into that type of war, that type of battle with untested, untried, unproven soldiers. Can't trust them. And later the Bible says, that the disagreement was so great between Paul and Barnabas. That Paul went with Silas and Barnabas went with somebody else. There was a great goal fixed even between apostles. And it wasn't till years down the road that Paul finally said, Mark, it's profitable for me uh, to me for the ministry. It took years for mark to get the trust of paul years it's not automatic and we can bring our philosophy and all this stuff about certain situations but i want to tell you something friend trust must be earned You would not think very highly of me if I run off and left you because the pressure was great. Or if I left you because you did something to me or said something to me that wasn't right. If that were the case, I'd have left ten years ago. At some point, people need to stop sucking their thumbs and understand that the kingdom of God is at stake, and you don't need to run home to mama every time. you got a problem. So this gulf create, that was created there by the passion of Paul caused a separation between apostles that wasn't healed for years, and it would have never been healed. If John Mark didn't repent and if John Mark are you with me here and John Mark didn't get right with God when John Mark sent one simple act of leaving them and going back home that one act could have been the shipwreck of John Mark his soul could have been lost that one decision if it had not been for Barnabas his uncle and the mercy of Peter John Mark his gospel is the sermons of Peter if it hadn't been Peter and for, for Barnabas he would have lost I believe his soul over this over that just simply walking out on these two and going back home yes are you hitting what I'm saying here It's not a dream world, honey. It's war. It's a fight to the end. And if we're looking for something to take us out, that something is going to be there. I'm telling you, you might as well just be the man. You might as well, or the woman. (laughs) I want to encourage some of y'all, though, in the midst of all of this. Joanne's not here this morning. But Joanne Brown, who just got baptized Wednesday night, I talked to her Thursday, and here's what she said. She said, I pray to God that someday I'm like those women in your church. She said, they are powerful women of God. I said, they sure are. She said, you know what she said? She said, there's a lot of men in that they don't even realize how powerful those women are. They don't even know what they got. I said, I know what's in the church. I pastor, and they're powerful women. And I said, you will be. You don't understand. This woman's ministered in Canada. She's ministered in the U.S. She's not just some, you know. She's had the Holy Ghost for years. But God led her to this church so she could be baptized in Jesus' name. She's not a novice when it comes to the things of God. But she said, I want to be just like those women. I said, deep curls to deep. You will be. And I can't tell you everything that happened that day. But God did a powerful work that day by telephone for her and also for Ross Hyden. By telephone. So be encouraged, hallelujah. I'm looking at the real thing. I'm not preaching down at you and telling you that you're a boy and you're you're weak and you're a whip and all of that. I'm just telling you that you'll be up against that kind of stuff. And you'll feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. But that's when the separation comes. Passion brings a gulf. Woo! God, hallelujah. Just helping anybody out there. Now the scripture tells us. You know, Paul and them has got to keep going. So we got John Mark departing, but when they departed, so now from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia. This is a different Antioch. They left Antioch of Syria, and they made it up into Galatian country now, Antioch of Pisidia. Okay? They have to keep going. No matter how much it hurt, Paul and Barnabas still has a mission. They still got a call and they've got to keep going no matter how painful it was. You can imagine the emotion that's there. But they got a job to do. They can't put their head in their, between their legs. Or put their twi- tail between their legs and run. like this guy preaching do you you do you do I know you do you love it you live for it give me more beat me up some more <laughs> we know you enjoy it <laughs> they've got to keep going they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day and sat down and so we got the man in the synagogue, and y'all know how the process goes. He's standing in the synagogue. He'd read, you know, certain portions of the scripture. Hallelujah. Offer prayers for that particular day, and then go to the Mishnah and preach from the Mishnah on that particular passage. And now we got a rabbi named Paul and Barnabas in the house, but see, they're in the church now, filled with the Spirit. And as that minister of the synagogue stands up and he reads the, maybe the, the you know, the writings, the Torah, the prophets, maybe the, 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 the Torah, you know. And, and then he stands up there and he almost opens the mishnah, he's going to start praying. Hey, anybody out there want to, got anything to exhort us with today? Oh boy, shouldn't open the door. <laughs> you know, because Paul wasn't sitting there looking around seeing who could, he can could make buddies out of. <laughs> He didn't go to church that morning to see what so-and-so was wearing or what car they were driving. He went there in that synagogue to do one thing, and that's preach Jesus. And so as the custom was, the Bible said he first preached to the Jews. To the Jew first and then the Greeks. And so in his audience, there is Jewish men, Israelites. This gospel wasn't just for Gentiles. This gospel was for the Jew and the Gentile. Paul, who was a Jew, if he believed that the Jews were already saved, he would have never walked into that synagogue and preached to the Jews along with the God's peers that were in that place. He didn't think they were saved already. God. He walks in there and he starts preaching to them. He starts with the exodus out of Egypt hallelujah he goes all he goes through the exodus he goes through the judges he goes through the prophet samuel he goes all the way to david then he said hey the seed of david is jesus christ and he's the one i'm here to preach about jesus christ you need the lord jesus christ God put up with you in the wilderness. He brought you out of Egypt. He put, you, put up with you in the wilderness. Uh, he nursed you uh, like a nursing nurse would. He took care of you. He bore with or nursed with your murmurings in the wilderness. He, Paul is saying, look at the government of God all the way through this. And everything you ever did was murmur and complain and rebel and sin against God. And so, are you with me? He said, look at the judges. In the history of the judges 450 years of the judges he said look at the book of the judges and what you will see there is the rebellion of Israel where the Bible said every man did that which was right in his own eyes that's what the whole book of judges is about is everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes and it brought spiritual decay and moral decay and read the end of the story in the book of judges look at the chaos that's in the kingdom as a result of everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes read it the cutting up of of a girl sent her through the camp all kinds of crazy stuff this young girl getting raped by the men of israel all of that is because everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes he says, God brought you out of Egypt. When he got you out of Egypt and you were in the wilderness, all you did was murmur and complain. He had to bear with you. You were rude to God. Do you understand? I me? Mean? You were rude to God, Israel. You murmured against him. The Caribbean stand in the most holy place crying. He's holy, holy, holy. The angels serve him. All he's got to do is say, go, and they go. He's worshipped in the heavens. He's obeyed in the heavens. And yet Israel was rude to God. Can you imagine that? A people rude to God who sits on the throne and angels worship Him and serve Him and as an absolute king. And they questioned God. And they murmured against God. They murmured against the leadership. And God had to bear with them. Hello. Hello. Took them through the judges, all their rebellion, doing that was right in their own eyes. They, are you with me here? They want a king, so God gives them a king. Saul, read the story. I don't have time to read all the verses. They want a king, so God gives them a king. Really, if you look at it, there was no, no, there was nothing wrong with them having a king, because the law set up stipulations uh, that governed the king when they got a the king. The problem was is that they had, their motive was wrong and the moment was wrong. Their motive was, we want a king so we can be like the rest of the nations. Wrong motive. And they wanted it right now. Wrong moment. God didn't forbid them having a king, but their motive was wrong and the timing was wrong. Give God some praise. You can't always find the Word of God where God says don't do certain things, but the motive is what God looks at, and the moment is what God looks at. So Saul wasn't God's choice, David was God's choice. And from him, from David, came Jesus. So then in all the midst of all the failures of Israel, And the failures of man, the grace of God has been there. Are you with me? I think that's enough. Verse 23. Now watch. This great goal fixed is, verse 23, of this man's seed hath God according to His promise raised unto Israel a Savior Jesus when John had first preached before his coming the baptism and repentance to all people of Israel and as John fulfilled his course he said whom think ye that I am I am not he but behold there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose men and brethren children of the stock of Abraham and whosoever among you feareth God to you is this word of this salvation sent you need salvation to the Jew first to the Greek then to the Greek Jesus is the only way you can be saved. There is a great gulf fixed. So that the only way into this covenant is by the blood of Jesus. Go with me to Revelation. Lord, help me to finish this. Revelation 2. Are you all okay out there? Verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They're just like Bar Jesus. They say they're Jews, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. They say they're rich. Now watch this. Paul is standing up to in that Jewish synagogue, and he's preaching to the Jews their need of Jesus for salvation. He's also preaching to the Gentiles. Now, in the midst of all of this, the Gentiles are getting excited about the Word of God. And I say Gentiles, I'm talking about god fears I'm talking about men who believe that there's only one God, but they just haven't been circumcised yet and become a Jew. And all of a sudden, Paul's standing there and he's preaching. And he said, hey, the way into the kingdom, into the covenant, is through the blood of Jesus. And you don't have to become a Jew to participate in it. And you don't have to get circumcised to participate in it. And the God's peers in the back of the church said, Woo! who is this preacher preaching here now? Go ahead, Paul." You mean I can get in a covenant with God and I don't have to get circumcised and I don't have to become a Jew? Woo! And they were having church. Amen. Awesome. Now, I've got to give you a little background here, okay? When Jesus and the apostles were alive, they lived with a background. And the background was this. They had two men who were teachers in Israel. One was Shemei, the other was Hillel. Shemai was a very strict Pharisee. Hillel was not quite as strict, but he was a Pharisee also. You with me here? Shammai taught that you could not enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God without first becoming a Jew. He also taught that Jews should not have any dealings with the Gentiles. Shammai. Hello, somebody. And James, the apostle of the church, who later became an apostle of the church, was probably from Shammai. And we'll get into that as we go along here. Most of the Pharisees, not all Pharisees were bad is my point. There were Pharisees that came into the kingdom of God from both schools, Shammai and Hillel. Mostly though, they came from Hillel, not Shammai. So the culture that day, Shammai said to the Gentiles, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven without first becoming a Jew. And getting circumcised and then once you become a jew then you can get in the kingdom of god that's what they taught Hillel didn't believe that though that he didn't believe that a gentile had to become a jew to enter into the kingdom of god nor did he believe that jews should not have any dealings with gentiles so the majority of the of the pharisees that followed christ came out of the school of Hillel very few came out of shemiah you with me here now the school of shemiah was called by the pharisees who did not believe their teaching the synagogue of satan so, oh, you so that in revelation 2 he said i know thy works in tribulation and poverty but thou art rich and i know the blasphemy of them which say they are jews and are not but are the synagogue of satan that terminology was used for the school of shamiah god is not saying in that passage that all jews are of the devil what he's saying, there are certain Jews who have a certain school of thought. That's the school of thought of Shammai, which says you've got to become a Jew before you can get the kingdom of God, and the Jews shouldn't have any dealings with the Gentiles. They were called the synagogue of Satan. Oh, God. Now, watch this. Ooh, hallelujah. And so, as the church comes in and the apostles go forth to preach, you've got this in the background here. Even people, even Pharisees are, who are becoming believers, some of them from shamia still think that the Gentiles should become Jews. Even though they've been translated out of darkness in the kingdom of his, of his dear son, and they're speaking in tongues. They still are saying, no, you still got to become a Jew. You still got to be circumcised. But they are believers in the church, the Pharisee believers in the church. So they're in this struggle here. Are you with me? So in this passage, then we're talking about people who have that kind of mindset, that you've got to become a Jew before you can enter the kingdom of God. They're called the synagogue of Satan, and they are rich. Now watch this. Are you all okay out there? Whoo, <clears throat> I'm feeling good. <clears throat> See God, oh God! Any Jew that rejects Jesus is of the synagogue of Satan. Any Gentile that rejects Jesus is of the synagogue of Satan. It doesn't matter your natural descent, your national descent. You reject Jesus, you are in the synagogue of Satan. Ooh, that's a heavy, 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 heavy. Now watch, watch what I'm telling you. Let's go to Luke. Well, hallelujah. Let's, let's do this first before we go to Luke. And I'm going to have to close here because I'm running out of time. But let's see what happens then. <clears throat> go back to chapter 13 of Acts. He goes and he said, <clears throat> verse <clears throat> 27, For they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Paul says, You didn't even know God. He's talking to Jews. He's not even talking to Jews in that synagogue. He's talking about the Jews that are in Jerusalem. He said, They didn't even know Jesus. They didn't even understand the prophets. That's what Paul, a Jew, said. He said, They didn't understand the prophets. They didn't know them. what? Are you with me? It's in the Bible. Why would you get quiet on me? They knew him not, nor the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them and condemning him. All those prophets that they read was about Jesus. It pointed to Jesus. Nor did they understand Jesus when he came. And I'm not saying all Jews. I'm saying specifically, especially those from Shammai. And many of them are from Hillel. Now watch. Okay, y'all with me still? Can y'all hang with me a little longer? Are are you up chucking on the side of the boat yet? Okay. And though they found no cause of death, him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. When they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers. What is the promise made to the fathers? That's good. You got it. It's the spirit. It's it's, we are in the spirit. We have been plunged into the kingdom. Are you here? I know it's hard, but just. (laughs) The promise of the Father. You see, you have different ages in the Word of God. Not just in Jewish thought, but in the Word of God. You have the present age. You have, in the Word of God, the days of Messiah. And you have Olam Haba, which is the age to come. Now watch this. Are y'all still awake? The promise of the Father is where we are now. We are in the days of Messiah. The present age is everybody that are unbelievers. They are in the present age. The age called the days of Messiah is also called the minor olam haba the minor age to come. The Olam Haba is the fulfillment or the ultimate, but they overlap so that when we entered into the days of Messiah, we entered into the Olam Haba in a minor sense, looking forward to the ultimate Olam Haba, which is the which is eternity when you get a glorified body but we are in the age to come now the days of messiah now but we are overlapping because we also are among the present age the unbelieving world do you understand what i'm telling you so when he talks about the promise of the father he's talking about that the age to come is here the days of messiah are here And you can't even participate in the Olam Haba, the age to come, in its ultimate sense, until you experience the Messiah who has come and brought in the new age. Now watch. Are y'all with me here? Y'all with me here? Read the book of Hebrews. Bible says this. Here we go. Okay. Say the promise of the Father. Did did y'all get that by the way? Three ages. Present age, days of Messiah or the minor, minor age to come and the age to come in its ultimate sense. Those three things. We are in that right now. We are in the present age where we got unbelievers out there. We're in the days of Messiah or the minor, um, the minor age to come. And it's going to flow into the ultimate kingdom. Oh, you with me here? You with me here? You got it at this point? Okay. That's the problem. We're in the promise of the Father is my point. We've been plunged into the kingdom by the Spirit. We're operating in a spiritual kingdom. I... And so what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to get Jews and Gentiles who are in the present age to enter into the days of Messiah or to enter into the age to come so that they can enter into the ultimate fulfillment of the age to come. He's trying to bring that gulf. Bridget. He's trying to bridge it, and he's telling them the way that's bridged, so that you can experience the promise of the Father, the days of Messiah, is through the blood of the cross. Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost. He's preaching them their history about all the separations and all the gulfs and everything they did to God, how rude they were to God, how they rebelled, how they did that which was right in their own eyes, how they wanted their own king, all of that. It separated. It brought a preach. It brought a gulf. Man. Thank God he's got this kind of passion. Hallelujah. Verse 32, we declare, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, the promise of the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us and their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it also was written in the second psalm, There art, my son, this day I have begotten thee. So in his incarnation or his manifestation, son in flesh, he's... The only begotten Son of God, in His resurrection, He's the first begotten Son of God. Are you with me here? And verse thirty-four is concerning that He raised Him from the dead. And now no more to return to corruption. He said unto His aunt on this wise, "I will give you the sure mercies of David." that from David's lineage is going to come the seed is going to come the Messiah from David the Messiah who is the sure mercies of David is going to sit on the throne of Israel through this Messiah he's not only going to save Jews but he's going to save Gentiles according to Isaiah I believe it's 55 it's all about Jesus he's trying to show them the Old Testament's about Jesus Okay, you with me? All right, here we go. What verse am I in? 35. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou, are not, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Which means he's not going to return to a place of corruption. He's not going to go back to that place called death. When he came out of the grave, that's it. David died, his body corrupted, decayed. But Jesus, they put him in the sepulchre. He was bodily raised from the dead. Not just spiritually come out, but bodily raised from the dead. To never go back to that place again. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through, his, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe, not just the Jews, but Gentiles too, all that believe are justified from all things. At about that time, I'm telling you, the God-fearers are standing up and saying, Preach it, Paul. Go ahead, Paul. Preach it. I've been told all my life I've got to become a Jew. I've been told all my life they've got to take me out and circumcise me. Go ahead, Paul. Tell me how I get right with God. Tell me how I get justified in the eyes of God. Tell me how I can enter into a covenant relationship with God. Come on, Paul. Tell me. Woo, boy, they're excited. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. You can't be justified by the law of Moses. It condemns you. Here's the point. He said, when Jesus came down on the cross, even the things that you could not be forgiven for under the law, like adultery and murder... Jesus has the ability to even forgive sins that were not forgiven under the Old Testament. Adultery and murder can be forgiven by Jesus in this time. Now, I want you to know that's good news for somebody that's committed adultery. And that's good news for somebody that's committed murder. You can be forgiven even of the vilest sin. The devil wants to take you to hell. But Jesus said, I justify you because you put your faith in me. Whew, glory to God. Under the Old Testament, they'd have took you out and stoned you, man. you have been on a pile of rocks. Even when David committed adultery, he had to reach all the way to Calvary to get forgiven for that sin. But he still had to deal with the consequence, but he was, he was forgiven. But he had to reach all the way to the cross because there was nothing in the law, no sacrifice he could bring to the temple that would cover adultery and murder. He had to go beyond the law. He had a revelation of Jesus. Even in his day. Now watch. Here we go. He gives them the good news. and He says, Beware therefore, lest that come upon thee which was spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall know no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you and when the jews were gone out of the synagogue the gentiles were sought these words might be preached to them the next sabbath hmm. now what happens as a result of this message you've got some of the jews that are going to believe and you've got some that's going to contradict going to fight are you here now, here's my point. Watch this. Let's go over here. Let's see this great gulf then this, that Paul's trying to bridge. He's trying to bring them into the kingdom. Okay? Remember in uh, Revelation 2 now, we talked about Jesus said, Thou art rich. You say you're Jews and are not of the synagogue of Satan. Okay. They say you've got to become a Jew before you can be in the kingdom of heaven. Paul's shown them otherwise. Okay, here we go. Go to Luke. luke 16. y'all remember the rich man hallelujah luke 16 verse 1 there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he, he had wasted his goods now if you keep going we're still talking about the same type of thing but let's go on here i gotta get verse 19 there was a certain rich man Which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuous every day. Who is this rich man? Revelation 2, verse 9. Thou art rich. You say you're Jews, but you're not. You're the synagogue of Satan. This man is a type of the Jew. Are you here? He is a descendant of Abraham naturally, nationally. Watch. Here we go. Now okay, if you don't believe me, let's go back to Revelation 2.9. Revelation 2.9, I know thy works, tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now we're talking about a rich man. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now we know the story here right you know the story I'm not the rich man the Bible says dies and he's carried where over in the torment or Hades Lazarus dies and he goes into Abraham's bosom and between them there is a great gulf fixed the rich man being in torment Lifted up his eyes and he prays, Father Abraham, let Lazarus come and dip. Let him dip his finger in water and place it on my lips or my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Abraham says, he can't go to you. You can't come to him because there's a great gulf fixed between the rich man and Lazarus. And he can't put water on your tongue. Water is a type of the spirit. So the rich man is a picture of the natural Israelite, the natural Jew, who's in need of water, or in need of the Spirit, or in need of a manifestation of the power of the Spirit of God in his life. And Abraham says there's a great gulf fixed between us, so that if he wants to go to you... He can't. You want to go to him? You can't. But the word gulf there means, um, it's a medical term, which means a gaping wound. So that what the Lord is trying to show us in this passage is that the only way the gulf can be bridged is by the blood of the cross. The wounds of Jesus upon the cross. The only way to get that gulf out of the way. Is through the gaping wound of jesus christ and it's only through him that you can enter into covenant whether you be a jew or a gentile it doesn't matter nationally or naturally what you are the only way to bridge that gulf is through the gaping womb of jesus christ you must have the water of the spirit you must taste the spirit of the living god you must be born again and it's by the work of the cross that that gulf is fixed and that's what Paul is preaching and that's why he's preaching because he knows that heaven and hell are at stake and the only way in the covenant is through Jesus Christ whether you be a rich man the Jew or you be Lazarus the top of the Gentiles the top of the Gentiles now let's close are y'all okay out there You can see why he's got so much passion. It's heaven. It's hell. There's a gulf in between them. He's got to reach those that are in hell. He's got to take them over the bridge. The gaping womb of Jesus Christ. He's got to get them out of that place called Hades. Get them over here into paradise. Into the promise of the Father. That's why he's preaching like he is. That's why it doesn't matter what hardship he's got to go through. It doesn't matter what obstacle he's got to face. He knows that people are, there's people going to hell. And so now the Gentiles are excited because they don't have to become Jews. Now let's see what happens. It says that after church, When the Jews of the synagogue were gone out after church, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. There was a gulf that took place between those two groups. You know, and that's still the way it is today. When church was dismissed, the Jews went home. But when church was dismissed, there was a bunch of Gentiles who followed Paul and Barnabas out the door and said, hey, tell us some more about this. And preach some more to us Saturday. We can't get enough of this. And I can't tell you how many times we've been in service and we've dismissed service and we still had more church. Last Sunday night, we got through preaching, thought we was going to go home, and God still was moving, and we preached a second message. On, but there's always a great gulf between individuals. There are those who can't get enough of God and enough of his word. If they got to, they'll find you home to get more of God in his word. And then you got some that are like the Jews. They heard the word and many of them believed it. But they just couldn't wait to go home. Right. Eat, eat dinner. Come on. Come on. i got to use every opportunity I can to get to you. Come on. Come on. They couldn't get enough church. Come on. Come on. But there's a gulf that's there. Hello? And the next Saturday came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. God's good in you. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy, envy, jealousy, jealousy. Jealousy is dangerous very dangerous jealousy will destroy a church or try to jealousy will destroy a home a man's jealous of his wife destroys his marriage a wife's jealous of her husband destroys the marriage now there's a healthy jealousy and a good jealousy but there's a detrimental jealousy and this jealousy here wasn't a good jealousy and so the Bible says for envy," and they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul they're gainsayers Speak against the word that's spoken, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And when he talks about everlasting life here, he's talking about literally the age to come. He's saying, you judge yourself unworthy of the age to come because you want to enter into the days of Messiah. Now you cannot participate in the Olam Haba. Give God praise. Because you're still in the present age, because you're an unbeliever, you cannot enter into the future, ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God. You can't do it. You can't do it without Jesus. He's the one that bridges the great divide by his gaping womb. That's why that message of the rich man in hell and Lazarus is given—not just to teach you about hell. It's to teach you about the rich man, the Jew, and the Gentile in that passage and the gulf that's there that only he can bridge by the gaping womb. It's only by entering the covenant through his blood that you'll you'll experience the alam Now, the scripture continues. God's good, isn't he? Say, so, well, you, won't believe, you, you judge yourselves unworthy. Then we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women. (laughs) They go out there and find some women. Some influential women. Here they go. There's nothing like a godly woman. And there's also nothing like an ungodly woman. A woman has the potential to be something powerful and great in the kingdom of god but she can also be a powerful tool of the devil so we got these women honorable whether well, honorable women in that city you know they're women of reputation probably wealth got some type of influence <clears throat> so the jews they know where to go they go to these women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they took off, they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. You just got kicked out of town. You just got separated. You just got kicked out. You, and you're rejoicing? And you're full of the Holy Ghost? Can I tell you something? Paul and Barnabas were like this. I preach to you. If you don't want it, I'll go somewhere else. If there were really true men of God standing in pulpits, preaching to people who don't want it, There would be a mass exodus from the pulpit and a mass exodus from churches. People who are going to churches where they're not preaching the truth. There should be a mass exit in the pew and a mass exit in the pulpit by anybody and everybody who does not want to hear the word of God. I'll just go somewhere else. You don't want it, I'll go somewhere else. That's something else, isn't it? Man, that's kind of that's that's a powerful move of God. Well you got people just just, you know, exiting the pulpits, leaving the city and going somewhere else to preach. Hallelujah. Would to God there'd be a mass exodus of people in those churches that don't have the truth. They would come into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> And they walk out there, and they're just happy. Praise the Lord! Praise God! We got we got to suffer for the Lord today. Woo! Hallelujah! We got women rising up against it. We had a false prophet. We had to deal with. We had all kinds of stuff. We faced all kinds of stuff. Praise God! Woo! Hallelujah! It's awesome, isn't it? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, chapter four tells us they go to and then to Derby, and then to Lystra. And there in Lystra, he's stoned to death. Stoned to death same thing miracle takes place a, a man gets gets healed you know and all kinds of problems rise up jews rise up against him again there division 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 a gulf a gulf, a gulf. everywhere they go there's so much of a passion for god it creates you to get on one side or the other my question to you today is this what side of the gulf are you standing are you standing on the side of the gulf salvation are you standing on the side of the gulf hell. You are standing on one side of the gulf. There is a passion that creates a gulf. And men are standing on that side. But I got good news for you. If you're standing on the side of the gulf called hell, you can cross over that bridge. Jesus was the bridge builder and through his sacrificial work, the wound, you can get on the other side of the gulf and stand firm with Jesus, but you can't stand neutral. You can't straddle the gulf. One foot in all in one foot in heaven. you got to make up your mind to get in this thing. What side of the gulf are you standing on? Hallelujah. He's up there in Galatian country, man. Dealing with all kinds of stuff. Now they want to make him a god because this miracle took place in Lystra. They want to make him a god, then they want to kill him the next day. <laughs> One day they're bringing him presents. next day they want to stone him. They do stone him to death. They don't want to. They do. They take him out of the city. Leave him under a pile of rocks. Leave him for dead. And I believe that's when Paul got a vision of heaven. I believe that's when he saw heaven. And from that day forward, watch what he says. He said, there's a gulf inside of me. He said, I want to be in heaven. But it's far more better for you if i stay here but inside there's i want to be there but i gotta be here because he had seen heaven left him for dead there you know what he does because i'm not gonna have time to get in all this passage next week i'd love to preach it to you but i don't have time what he does is after the lord they get around him they pray for him he's raised from the dead If it was me, I'd have caught the first boat out (laughs) back to Antioch and said, "Woo, man, that was rough. Well, them rocks, they hurt. But you know what he did? Crazy, Paul. He's crazy. He's got so much passion for the kingdom of God. He gets up and he walks right back in the place. They stoned him and preached to him. That is the kind of passion that creates a separation. That is the kind of passion that will create a gulf everywhere it goes. Nobody can stand neutral in that kind of presence. You're either going to get in or you're going to get out. There's not going to be any neutrality. Passion creates a gulf. Let's stand. Father, I thank You right now for Your awesome Word. Jesus, I give You glory, honor, and praise. You are holy and righteous and glorious. I love You. Father, I stand before You today as I preach this Word. I stand humbled before You. I see men like Paul, men like Barnabas with that kind of passion that everywhere they went it was riot or revival Lord I pray right now Jesus as a church help us not to play games help us to be men and women of God that have a passion that separates true prophets from false prophets separates false jews from true jews that brings the people in the world this present age into the kingdom of jesus christ help us to have a passion jesus for souls to be saved i thank you today lord that i could stand before this church and preach this word and i pray god it'd be more than just words but that by your spirit it you reach down deep in the heart of people. Let us go forth and fulfill your purpose and your plan. We feel your finger pointing at us. And we give you glory and we give you honor and we give you praise, and we are honored that you would choose us to suffer in any way for you. I love you and I praise you. And I pray for this congregation that you will strengthen them in the inner man. Whenever they sense a spirit seeking to resist the Word of God, seeking to shut them down, seeking to turn them off, let them get a fire. And a boldness in them. That they would send it out of the house. Let us get a vision, Lord. About really what it's all about. And it's you and your kingdom, Jesus. Let it be established in Odessa, Texas. Let it be established in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand, clap, praise today. Lord, I worship you today. I praise you today. I worship you today. I praise you. You are holy. You are righteous. I delight in you, Lord. I delight in your word. I delight in your name. I delight in your presence. I delight in your church. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Five o'clock to five thirty, Bible study, five thirty prayer, six o'clock church. Come back to church. We have a great time tonight. I got a man that can he I mean he gonna preach. He's gonna raise me from the dead. I feel like a dead preacher this morning, but he gonna raise me from the dead. I'm excited. See what I'm really doing is I'm I'm, I'm putting anticipation in your heart. And I'm, I'm making him scared to death. But that's a good place to be because then you trust in the Lord. And when you trust in God, miracles will take place. Hallelujah. Y'all going to come back and have church? You're dismissed. I love y'all. See y'all tonight.